This episode of the Bamboo Pastors podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, friends, welcome into another episode of Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. John, good to see you. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm good, Jalen. It's, uh, you know, Thanksgiving week is gone. I had a lot of delicious food. I was here in California, uh, but it was a good like a little break before before the Advent season kind of kicks off. I think you know how it is around this time of the year in the church calendar. Oftentimes there's special projects, extra services, maybe more things going on. And so now I feel after that pause at Thanksgiving, it feels like it's starting to pick up a little bit. So I have had a, have had a busy week. I'm preaching this Sunday, kicking off our Advent series, um, but I'm excited for that. Yeah, preaching on the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew 1. How about you? How are you? How are you doing? Yeah, that's great. I think, uh, as you said, Thanksgiving being over, we're now in the Advent season. And for me, I think, you know, as churches, it's really important for us to keep our congregations engaged and focused on the birth of Christ and really the the hope and the joy and the peace that there is for us during this season, especially in these times when those things are in such short supply. I think it's so important for us to tell our congregation, remind them over and over again that Christ's birth reminds us that there is hope, that there is joy, that there is peace because of what God has done in sending Jesus. And so one of the things that we've done for our congregation is that we got them each, uh, every family, every individual got a devotional, 30-day devotional, uh, 31-day devotional for all of December, uh, where we're going through each day, reading the same devotional. Uh, People can have conversations about it, but it's for every family, every individual to at least be doing the same thing that the rest of the brothers and sisters in, in the church are doing. And so that we can keep our minds and our hearts focused in the right place, uh, just so that we can get back to uh, celebrating and worshiping Christ, uh, who is really our hope and joy and peace during this time. So I'm excited about this season. Advent is always a challenge, as you said, to keep our eyes focused on Christ, because there's usually so much stuff going on. And even with COVID, you know, it's easy to get caught up in all kinds of other d- different stuff. So for that devotional, did you guys, did you write that 31 days of devos or? Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. We, uh, we bought a devotional. Uh, uh, so, excellent. Yeah. Save us some work there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited for our guest today. And we have on with us Win C. Win is the youth pastor at Portland Chinese CMA Church. So Wynn, welcome to the podcast. We know that you're, uh, you're one of our regular listeners, so we're really grateful for you supporting us in that way and tuning in each week. And now you're on the podcast with us. So welcome aboard. Oof, I feel like I'm meeting some stars here, but yeah, it's been, uh, I've been very encouraged by this podcast and I'm, I'm really humbled to be a part of the conversation. Thanks for joining us, Wynn. We're glad that you're here. Could you share with us as we begin just a brief uh, ministry journey, how you got into ministry, what it's been like? 
Man, I wish I had all the time in the world, but I started off uh, growing up in a mega church in uh, Vancouver, Washington, a mostly white church. And it's kind of started in high school, this call to ministry. Uh, I had a really amazing uh, mentors and youth pastors growing up through middle school and high school, and I really looked up to them. And it just it, it helped with a, a love, a deep love for the local church. And kind of long story short, when I went to college, I didn't declare for a major. I went to a local school called George Fox University here in Oregon, and I wasn't declared for a major, but then I checked my, this was when online checking your major or whatever stuff was happening. And it just said Christian ministries major. And I didn't write any form, nothing. It just, it just somehow magically appeared up there. And I was like, I was leaning that way. So I might as well just move on with it. So I just, I went that direction. And uh, shortly after college, this was kind of my route. So grew up in the Calvary Chapel Church. It was the large uh, mega church, uh, Calvary Chapel Church in Vancouver. Then I go to a Quaker school, George Fox University, end up at a free Methodist church as a part-time youth pastor. Um, and I was also working at an interior sign shop um, and also working at a local YMCA. So three jobs at once. Uh, and then I found my way over to an evangelical covenant church after uh, the Free Methodist Church closed under terrible circumstances. And then I found myself in an evangelical covenant church across the way. And then I moved to the East Coast in 2013 and was still at an evangelical covenant church on the East Coast in Boston. And then by God's grace, a lot of weird things happen. We don't have enough time for it. It's a, it's a whole huge story in and of itself, unless you really want to know. If I found myself at this church, not in a billion years, if you asked me, five years ago that I would be a youth pastor at a Chinese church um, because I am as uh, white as you can get as a, as a Chinese guy. I don't speak Chinese at all. My wife is Swedish and I know more Swedish words than Chinese. So that's, that is how Americanized I am. In fact, one, two parents they, uh, at this church, they said when they first met me, when I opened my mouth, they knew how not Chinese culturally I was. So that's kind of my weird journey as far as like denominations. And most it's, it's mostly been in kind of suburban, a little bit urban church environments with just kids um, and working in different communities and sometimes working in or just volunteering at school. So that's kind of been my really quickly summed up summary of where I've been in my life and my uh, ministry journey. Yeah, when you know, I'm, I'm curious, like when you were in Boston, was that for school or seminary? Um, and then how, how did you end up finding this Chinese church in Portland, the alliance, you know, that you're the Christian missionary alliance that you're a part of now? Was it you just randomly found it on a job posting board or something? Or uh, I guess we'll get into the story. So back in 2011, 2012, I was serving at this Evangelical Covenant Church in Sherwood, Oregon. And it was pretty obvious that as I was job hunting for other places, because I was serving at this church as an intern, and I was looking for opportunities to be a youth pastor somewhere else. But I just kept kind of hitting the, the glass ceiling or something like that. Just something wasn't adding up. But it really, God's calling in my life was you need more education. You need, you, you thrive better in a more formal environment when there's, when you have loving mentors who are kind of directing you in the right way you should go. Um, so I looked around the country at different seminaries and I, I just ended up at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary in Hamilton, in South Hamilton, Massachusetts. And so I was there from 2013 to 2016. Uh, moved across the country. Let, I've never been, never been to New England before, other than one visit out there, and fell in love with it out there. During my last year of seminary, that's when I started the job search. Like at the beginning of my third year, I started the job search, 
and I was applying for a lot of different places for different jobs, whether it's youth ministry or associate pastor, or even like camp direct, like spiritual direction, camp direction, all these kinds of different kinds of ministry jobs, even private school, spiritual directors and stuff like that all over the place. And I kept being either like semifinalists or finalists and at these various different kinds of jobs. And I just, you know, the job hunts uh, can be soul sucking in so many ways because you hear no or silence all the time. And I was just like, God, what is, what is happening? Like I'm qualified for all of these. I've, I've got more experience than a lot of my own classmates because of all the church experience that I've had before going to seminary. Like what else do I need? I got connections all over the place. I, I know all these different people. Then in July of 2016, uh, this was when I was just taking uh, one summer class to finish up my time. I got a random email from my father and he said that um, he was in Portland and he was at a Chinese restaurant, a, a restaurant all of us Chinese people in Portland go to all the time. And he ran into an old acquaintance and this guy's name's Mike. And my dad said, yeah, I talked to Mike and we we're going back and forth on kind of, you know, the, the, the small talk uh, discussions that were happening. And Mike just happened to say, uh, oh, yeah, I'm the I'm the uh, head of a youth pastor committee search or whatever. And that perked my dad's ear. A little bit of history. Portland Chinese CMA Church is actually the church that my grandparents went to when I was growing up. But because I didn't grow up in a Chinese community other than my own family, I never set one foot or even knew the name of the church. I just knew there was a Chinese church in Portland that my grandparents went to. So anyway, that's the connection. And so my dad's ears perked up. And so he sent me this email and he said, when I know that the job search has been you know, arduous for you and it's, it's been a trying time, but I you know, ran into this guy and he says he's the head of a youth pastor search committee at your grandparents' old church. And at that point, <laughs> the expression on my face is just, I, I'm just, okay, fine, whatever. That was my attitude towards it. Cause I kept getting nosed for a whole year. And I was like, what, what do I have to lose? So I got in contact with the English pastor um, at uh, PCCMA. His name's Ken Carlson. I happened to be in town for Portland cause I was living officially in Boston at the time. And I was in for vacation with my family. Um, and we just got together and we chatted for a little bit. Um, I, I sat on that discussion for a couple of days uh, and then I formally submitted uh, my, my resume and officially put my name in the hat, so to speak. Um, and then a few weeks later, this is like in mid, late August, they told me that they wanted for me to be a candidate at the end of September. I came out, I did the whole circus, preaching, getting asked a billion questions by everybody, including uh, being asked by a, a student whether I'm a robot or not. So I don't know what that means. And then they offered me the job about a week later and I sat on it for two weeks. Uh, and then I decided it, it, it just was really clear that God was calling me to come back home to the Portland, Vancouver area. And this is where I am. And when I ended up at the church, I was like, what in the world am I doing? Because most of the ideas and experiences that I had in youth ministry were completely thrown out the window as soon as I started, um, simply because I've never been in a predominantly Chinese community. But along the way, I actually, this two days ago was my four-year anniversary of being at this church. And I look back on those four years and I, I just know that it's the spirit of God just directing me and really showing me little bits here and there that he has me there for a reason. I'm not entirely sure sometimes, but uh, that's, that's the truth. Yeah, I love that you remind us that often God takes us to places where we had never planned, that we had never thought we'd be. 
Mm -hmm. and it shows his grace it shows his goodness and also just uh his sense of humor but also how much he carries us you know through the different ministry places that we go what are some of the ways that you've had to adjust uh doing youth ministry you just said that you kind of threw everything out the window because of doing youth ministry in different kind of contexts but what were some of the adjustments that you had as you transitioned to being in a chinese church the challenges have been realizing how different culturally I am to basically the first generation of the, you know, the, the adults and the, and the uh, parents of this church and how my interaction with them is just so different. There are a few who are more Americanized, so to speak, than, than some of the others. And in fact, there has been a couple of parents once in a while, they will passively hint that I should learn Cantonese. And my response whenever that comes up is like, well, if you want to pay me for like a year to study Cantonese and do nothing else, sure. But the major change has been if I get an idea in my head and I believe in an idea, it's whether it's a leader or someone implementing an idea and it's like, ooh, I, I kind of see myself as like a lieutenant or a captain in the army. I, I'm not the, the guy in charge, but I help execute the, the goal and the plan. And when I came to this church in particular, I'm, I'm the very first full-time youth pastor in this church's 45-year history. So when I got the job description, it was pretty threadbare, pretty uh, framework, and not a lot of detail. So it was one of those, okay, I kind of have to make this up as I go along because one, I've never been in a Chinese church, and two, this is my first time youth pastoring in a Chinese church that doesn't have a history of youth ministry, or at least having a full-time youth pastor. So my first year and a half was lots and lots of listening. I, I really considered myself during that time as a, as a detective and just listening to everybody who's got a story to share. And as you guys know, in a Chinese church, some of the elder people in the community tend to share way more than you expect sometimes, um, whether it's about the history of the church or their own life or their grandkids or whatever. And I just kind of find myself grabbing different puzzle pieces as I went along and trying to piece together like, huh, so that's why I'm noticing this in our church or, okay, we're doing it this way because there's a history behind this. Or there's, there's also a lot of the original founders of the church that are still there. And when I learned more about how it all began in the beginning, I'm like, oh boy, that's a, that's a whole lot to wade through. So my strategy has been patience and just kind of waiting for an opportunity to open that's really clear from the spirit of God as, as uh, moving through it. But also I can't, it's hard for me to suppress my personality and just some of the things I'm passionate about, about discipling students and uh, equipping parents. That's been a whole slog in terms of getting that moving in any way, shape or form, but also just the, the cultural differences is I really, I really have to get in touch and, listen to my own family experience of being Chinese. In fact, I've asked my parents a lot of questions about their own growing up in their culture and like, why didn't you guys end up at a Chinese church? And that's, a, again, a, a whole other story uh, that we don't have time for. But it, it's been a lot of listening and also kind of self-reflection about my own cultural identity. Hearing that explains a little bit of maybe why you enjoy our podcast so much because you're you're like learning from the ground up in some ways. So we're glad yes. to we're glad to provide provide that for you when Yeah, it is. So, I'm curious now that looking back 4 years into this, you know, you really came in and you're building from scratch in some ways, right? I'm sure that they had youth ministry going on, probably a lot of really faithful volunteers. Yep, absolutely. But you come in and there's probably a lot of expectation like you're the professional pastor, you're going to 
you're going to run this and that's why parents are passing their kids off to you, you know, and you're saying it's hard to get any momentum with, with discipling them. I guess looking back, how have you seen your youth ministry grow or your youth ministry really change for the better? Or what are some, some challenges that, that you've hit along the way that you're like, man, I was not expecting that. So for Thanksgiving, I was in Colorado Springs and I happened to find an opportunity to be with Dan Bull, the the National Youth Director for the Alliance. And we were chatting about this and he's got some experience obviously with the Chinese church in the Alliance. And we were talking about third culture kids. And one of the ways that the spirit of God has really been confirming in my heart and my mind about this is why you're here is I remember when I was a teenager being one of the very few Chinese, let alone Asian students in my community. All my best friends growing up were white. And some of them now looking back, you know, 20 years, they're like saying, man, I didn't really understand the cultural differences until now. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're talking. I'm like, I didn't understand those cultural differences, but there's a certain, when you look back in hindsight for me as a, as, as a, an adult and looking back at my 15, 16, 17 year old self, there's a lot of things I was experiencing then that I did not have language for, both spiritually as, as terms of a disciple of Christ, but also how to express what's going on in terms of the changes that students go through in their, in their adolescent years, but also spiritually and also how they relate to their immigrant parents. It's so complicated. And so I'm not an expert, but boy, I get an opportunity to try to help students express kind of emotionally. So I, I, I ask a lot of like, how do you feel or what do you think about this? Um, and I, I'm trying to give them space to process. So my whole bit for much of the students, both in high school and middle school, has been just allowing them to ask questions. And I say, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I don't care what it is. Uh, even for the student that asked whether I was a robot or not, I was like, sure, go ahead, ask that question. Because I think it's really important for third generational students to, or third third culture students, sorry, to be able to process and be able to, in a safe environment, not tattle on their parents. That's one thing I try to emphasize is like, this is not a time to, to rat out your parents because I'm not going to tell them anything except obviously dangerous situations or something, but I'm also wanting to partner with you and help you understand this, this world that you live in, which is you're straddling the line between two cultures and you're not sure which way you're supposed to go because that was my life. And I think that has helped some of them really process what it means to follow Christ. And the other side of it is, you know, there's, there's this, what you would call it stereotype of like, you know, Chinese kids or Asian kids, you know, excelling in, you know, academics and all that stuff. I was not that kid. I was, <laughs> I, I joked that my brother was the one that took every science molecule away from my brain, but when he was born before me and I was not, I'm not a math person. I'm not a science person, but man, these, these students are so smart. A lot of them are just so smart and already have plans to be like doctors or researchers and all this stuff. And I remember going through that time and understanding how wow, if you are really putting these lofty goals, what happens if it doesn't work out? And the language of how to navigate that for third culture kids is really difficult. And that's something most of them have not really considered before was like, oh, wow, what if I do fail? Because the, the adage is, oh, I just work really, really hard and I'm going to get what I want. And it's like, life's not that easy. You got to be able to know what you're standing on if you don't succeed in this. Because if you're not standing on Christ and his foundation and the love that he has for you, your world's going to crumble real quick. 
so that's been a lot of what I'm, I'm building my structure. So it's not my structure. This is Jesus's structure. Just how I relate to students is, is a lot of about emotional health, but also spiritual maturity and understanding what scripture actually says rather than, you know, the Sunday school answers. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that's, that's the way to go, right? That you point them to Jesus and to his word, and then you walk alongside them as they navigate all these different things. But I really, really like how you talked about or made the observation that students don't really know how to fail, especially I think coming from our cultural background, because we're taught that if you just work hard, you're going to succeed. And I mean, I've, you know, I've have had to wrestle with failure in my own past. And I know for sure that that was like a world crumbling right. event when I went through that in college. And, you know, by the grace of God came out of that trusting more deeply in who he is and his promises and his faithfulness. Thankfully, you know, had people in my life that really pointed me to Jesus in that way in my family um, and in, you know, in the church that I was at, but you're right. You're teaching me something new right now. I, I don't think, I think I knew that I just didn't have the, didn't connect that to this, you know, this success and failure piece so directly, I guess. Yeah, I also appreciate, you know, you talking about Chinese churches being a safe place for students to process what it means to be a third culture person. And I think that extends even into adult ministry, you know, because a lot of times, even for for Chinese American adults, they're still processing. I think even for us, we continue to think through what does it mean for us to be living in this country in this culture, uh, having the ethnic identity that we do, and putting above all of that Christ and who we are as followers of Jesus. And so I, I really appreciate that you pointed to Chinese churches being a safe place for us to process being third culture people. What are some other ways that you feel that Chinese churches excel in helping youth ministry or helping youth grow in their faith? Sense of community and belonging. It's not even a hesitation on that. Some of my students have mentioned how in the middle of COVID-19, being separated from everybody, they still feel like they're a part of a, a larger body because simply because it's a community of people that look like them. That's so valuable. That's something I, I can't imagine for myself as a 14, 15, 16-year-old if I was in a pandemic and just isolated at home and feeling like I have to make so much effort to connect with the community or something like that. But, but there is a sense of this is a Chinese church because we're Chinese, we eat Chinese food, we do these Chinese things. And it, I think that's, that's healthy in terms of having a sense that you do have an identity no matter where you are located. I mean, that's, that's kind of the diaspora of any ethnic culture that's left their home country and found, you know, like a Chinatown or a Chinese church or, you know, a Chinese newspaper or something like that and and just really finding that identity together like we all watch anime we play the same games together whether it's like among us or battle royale or something you know we listen to an insane amount of k-pop or something i i don't know it's it it is that semblance of that it's a it's a unique culture within and in and of itself when all these students interact in predominantly white schools that they go to say for like a couple of different instances so that sense of, of cultural identity and belonging is really strong. Now, whether students are enthusiastic about that or not is, an, is a, I think, is a separate question. But it's definitely like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm part of this tribe, no matter what. Yeah, so how do you help them navigate that when they maybe aren't super enthusiastic about their cultural identity, their cultural background? 
their, you know, their heritage. Cause I know there were times in my life when I really loved the fact that I was Chinese. And then in other, in other moments, I think there were times when I knew that that made me an outsider and made me different. And so those were the, those were the times when I tried to, uh, it wasn't that I couldn't, you know, I was never going to not be Chinese, but maybe try to suppress or downplay that part of who I am. How have you helped students kind of navigate that? It depends on the family. It very much depends on the family and how they view assimilation versus dissimilation, basically either assimilating to American culture or not engaging with it at all. And I've had everything in between for different families. The, the gap, as you guys know, between immigrant parents and their, and their American kids, especially just talking is like, you know, it's just missing each other completely, you know, missiles missing each other. And it's one of my failures, I would say, in my four years so far is really finding a way to connect with parents and trying to be helpful because I say this with as much humility as I can, but I also understand it's like an obstacle is that because I'm younger than all of the parents, it's kind of, it, it's difficult to establish a, both a relationship and also as the title of a pastor in a church and saying like, I'm not trying to be, have authority and tell them what to do. I can't, I cannot do that. I've never done that in my youth ministry experience ever, but it's more of how can I help you understand your student more so that you who are the primary disciplers of your kids connect with them more and disciple them more. That's been a very hard bridge to cross culturally for me because I'm so American. But one of the things I'm trying to do is there are a few parents who are champions and just really good brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm extremely, I, I can't imagine the four years I've been here without them uh, because they've been such a great support. And it's one of the things I'm trying to help them catch the vision of discipling their, their fellow parents because I can't speak that language I can't speak to that mindset. And plus, since I'm younger, that's another barrier for me to get through. And because most of the time when I talk to parents, it's a lot of, oh yeah, okay, great. But not a lot of like, not action, but not a lot of um, engagement in that conversation. It's more of just, oh yeah, yeah, we'll give it a try. And, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how that goes. So I I hope that that strategy really helps because one thing that I've kind of found in my position here is not only am I a youth pastor, but the English pastor, he's the associate here. I've kind of been his associate with the rest of the English community, especially during COVID. He actually took, took a uh, sabbatical this past uh, summer. And so not only was I concentrating on tech stuff and doing online things, but also I was doing my best to try to, you know, shepherd and, and really have conversations with people within our community um, and seeing them socially distant and all that stuff. And it's been clear that emotionally healthy spirituality stuff, you know, Peter Scazzaro stuff has, is, is needed in our community. And because it's, there's so many types of blind spots, even I myself, there's so many blind spots that we have spiritually that I think would help address the growing need to pass on faith to the next generation that we have all been called to do. Uh, Cause that's been a huge struggle for, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm here is it's been a huge struggle for our church to pass that on to the next generation. For our listeners, that book you just referenced, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that is by Pete Scazzaro, correct? Yes, absolutely. I first read that book in 2004 in college, and I was not spiritually or emotionally mature enough to accept it, and I thought it was garbage. 
But then I read it again when I was uh, in uh, seminary in 2013 and I was an emotional wreck. So <laughs> um, it was one of those humbling, like, wow, I messed up kind of thing. <laughs> so I highly recommend that. And our church leadership actually just went through that book. Our, our, our governing board leadership just went through it. So uh, I'm happy that we're starting to go in that direction. Yeah, you know, when you're just talking about just the difficulty to connect with parents and, you know, they they trust you to minister to their children, but maybe if you want to speak into their lives, it's hard to have the relationship and the credibility early on, or even sometimes many years into it, you know, they'll, they'll see you as the youth guy, but it just comes with time. It comes with yep. them seeing, seeing the fruit of your life, not just the fruit of your ministry, but the fruit of your life, you know, kind of in front of them. And it just, I'm sure language is also sometimes a barrier and it, it's all these different factors. So my encouragement to you is to just press on in that. I guess I'm, I'm curious because I've been out of youth ministry for over a year now, and right. I cannot imagine being a youth pastor in this season. Like <laughs> right. what, what has it, what has it been like doing ministry in the era of COVID with these Zoomers, you know, like what are ways you've had to adapt or change? Are you finding new ways to do ministry, throwing the book out again for the second time now, or, or, you know, redoing the playbook so to speak. The playbook has been changed because programs are no longer like the thing to do, fun activity stuff. It wasn't that, and I, I mean, I made it pretty clear, like I'm for games and for, you know, making a fun environment for the students, but that's not my biggest agenda. I made that clear when I got here and students know that too. It's not like, it's like, we're all serious and never having fun, but just Again, creating that atmosphere of honesty and like airing your doubts and your questions and being okay with it and not being shamed for it. Um, that's one side of it. COVID specifically has really actually helped in one particular way, and that is student leadership development. It's been a while since I started to try to get student leadership off the ground, but I really was trying to establish a good relationship with students to even get to the point of having student leaders. So that took a couple of years to get there. And now that I have student leaders, it's been, they, they live kind of all over the place. As you guys know, in a lot of immigrant churches, you know, sometimes families drive 45 minutes an hour away to get to your church. And that's the same case for the students. And they don't, they don't drive anymore, or at least they don't get their license until much later. And so getting together with them is really difficult. At first, when I started about a year and a half ago, it was like, we'll meet once a month. But now I can actually invest in them, you know, more often. I, I, I don't schedule it every week, but it's like, kind of a certain rhythm I kind of build into that. And that was part of the expectations I wrote when I was like, I invited, like the the posture is I invite you into this. And if you accept this invitation, these are the expectations. And if you don't, I give them like, hey, I love you regardless whether you accept this invitation or not. And so it's been a joy to really kind of take that Jesus model of he really invested in three and then so that they can invest in more, the real like discipling small group model. That's what I'm hoping. So the student leaders have really kind of taken on to thinking a little bit more critically about their faith, actually studying scripture. Like they, they've started their own Bible study on their own, which is like awesome. You don't need me around. Like Let the spirit take you where you need. And if you have any questions, send them my way and I'm more than happy to help you. But it's been enabling them to take their faith more seriously. And in turn, I'm there's little bits here and there of them being able to pull out from their peers more than I can. Because I could sit here, as you can tell, talk all the day long, just out of nervous energy or just trying to hide all my insecurities. But I do my best to try to shorten what I have to say and make it really succinct so that 
the students have an opportunity to process that openly. So I'm trying to like make myself less so that they can have more opportunities themselves. And that's been probably the big success, I think, of COVID, the, the side benefit, not side benefit, the benefit of, of COVID. Um, the challenge is just Zoom fatigue. Every I, I've got Zoom fatigue even looking at you guys. I'd rather be in a room drinking coffee with you or something or tea, but um, that's not the case. And it's really challenging for me as an extrovert, not being able to see people. The few times I actually have seen students, it's quite clear that a lot of them are holding a lot of things and they don't know where to put it. And they need that physical face-to-face to really let those things come out. And I just miss that. I, I miss those connections that I was making. Uh, I miss the the camaraderie that the students have with each other. Just seeing it, I don't have to be involved with it, but just seeing it has been really good as well. But COVID has just, I think it's stunted community growth in a lot of ways. I mean, they're, they connect with each other through screens, but it's not a missed opportunity because I still think the Spirit of God is working on some wonderful things through this process. And I think it's making them be more reflective on what they value in their life because of being isolated. You know, we had a we had a guest on with us two weeks ago, Tim Haas, and we didn't really talk about this for the podcast, but separately, he was telling me how he, his youth group made the shift from doing stuff on Zoom to doing stuff on Discord. And they were able to create (laughs) more community through that. So, you know, who knows? I feel like in in this day, I'm not saying that that'll work for you, but what I'm hearing from youth groups and youth pastors around the country is that crisis is is creating innovation in in many Mm -hmm. ways. Like we've done things kind of maybe the same way for a long time. And now we have to adapt, find new ways. And and that's how, you know, that's, that's what God is doing in his church. He's He's growing new things out of pain and suffering and brokenness. But, but, you know, we look back on this a few years from now and we'll see the way the church has been impacted. So yeah, keep, keep at it. Yeah. Appreciate that. As we wind down here, what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that's serving in a Chinese church for, for you having not grown up in a Chinese church, not being in a Chinese church for most of your life, but now being in a Chinese church, what's, what's that one piece of advice you would give us? Patience. Absolutely. Patience. And I'm not a patient person. I'm, I'm an action person. I'm not a planning person. I'm just an action person when the plan is in place. So I've had to learn to be patient and just, okay, do the diligent things you need to do and just wait, pray and wait because opportunities will come up. Prime example, there is a elementary and middle school just two blocks down from our church. It's more uh, ethnically diverse and it's middle to lower class income students. And a lot of the families uh, have food insecurity, large food insecurity. And I've known the social worker that uh, helps volunteer and do things at that, at that school for a few years now, but we haven't really had an opportunity. But this year with COVID for Thanksgiving, we usually have a Thanksgiving service and there's usually this huge meal and celebration of things that we're thankful for, things like that but we didn't have it this year. And in October, something popped in my head. And I was like, oh, you have an opportunity. We can actually help serve the Marysville school just down the street with Thanksgiving baskets. We've never done that before, but I was like, this is an opportunity to love our neighbor. So I just started kind of a love our neighbor campaign Thanksgiving drive thing for Marysville. Cause I was like, I think I see an opportunity here. We didn't have an opportunity for two and a half years until now. And now it's like the door just got open and I'm jamming my foot in it and be like, we, we got an opportunity and we can't lose it, but it is patience. Some students has taken a while to really warm up. Some parents it's taken a while to really warm up and open up. And I've, I'm finally starting to 
not reap the rewards, but more people in the, in the, just the English side, not the Chinese side, because, you know, Chinese um, speaking, I can't do it, but more are starting to kind of open up and understanding that I'm somebody to trust, which is such a huge honor and super humbling. But again, I, I can only get here because the spirit of God has been confirming my time here along the way. You know, some parents with, there's a little, we don't have very many little kids in our church, but one time a parent was like, oh yeah, these are going to be your future kids. I'm like, don't put that on me. I have no idea what the spirit of God is up to, but he has done a really, I mean, there's no other word for it. An awesome job of making sure that, oh yeah, when you're, I, I have you here for a reason. You don't know what it is, but I do. And that's all you need to know. And I think that could be applied to anybody in ministry, not just being in a Chinese church, but I've learned a lot and I, we don't have the time to do, <laughs> to do that right now, but I'm really, I, I cannot be more grateful for the four years I've been here and hopefully more. I love this community. I think it's important to distinguish being Chinese um, in a mostly white city, but also understand that our culture is valued by our creator. And I think more of our students and our families need to know that. That's such a good word. I really appreciate that reminder to be patient so often as I've been studying the Psalms lately, the, the refrain of, I will wait for you, Lord, we'll wait on the Lord. And having that patience and steadfastness and faithfulness is so critical for us who are in ministry, especially in Chinese churches. And so thank you for that word, win. Thanks for being our guest today. Uh, it was great to have you on. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing some of the other stories that you said we don't have time for, maybe in a different podcast, but uh, we really enjoy our time with you. So thanks, Win. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So thanks for coming on again with us. It was good hanging out. My pleasure. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.